And if you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are rounding the final corner. To use some Kentucky Derby language, how's that for relevance? We come around our final corner onto Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 13. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that will be on page 1163. Do listen closely, because this is God's word. That's to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to him in prayer and ask his blessing on our text today. O Lord, we do thank you that your word gives us light into dark places. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and I pray that it would be that for us today. Lord, help me to explain it clearly and help our hearts to believe it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It is remarkable how confident Americans are in themselves. There was a survey that was done asking 1,000 of us, what sort of animal do we think we could beat in unarmed combat? 70% believed that they could beat a rat in unarmed combat. Only 70 <laughs> 61% believe that they could go toe-to-toe with a goose, which shows they have not spent any time on the internet. Confidence begins to slip when we get to a medium-sized dog. About 49% believe that they could win that. But the truly interesting insight, however, came from the animal at the bottom of the list. That again, Americans believed they could beat in unarmed combat, which was a grizzly bear. A full 6% of respondents believed they would have been victorious in a hand-to-hand combat with a grizzly bear. And what this shows is a terrible misunderstanding of the power of a grizzly bear. I searched online, and according to the internet, these creatures can lift 1,000 pounds, which for visuals is about both of these pianos on either side of me, a single bear. What this shows is that a misunderstanding of our enemy is a critical error in combat. And so often we misunderstand who our real enemies are. We prepare in our lives for things that can happen. We buy life insurance, we buy tornado shelters, and we do all of these things to protect our families. And those are good things, things I have myself. But when we protect against those things that we perceive to be threats and ignore those things that are going to be threats, we find ourselves making a critical error. It's unlikely that we're going to be dealing with tornadoes or untimely deaths tomorrow. But what is going to happen tomorrow is spiritual combat. It's going probably happening to you right now. 
and is going to meet with you tomorrow. And it says a lot about what our priorities are, particularly if we have children or grandchildren. What is it that we are making sure that they understand? I find myself all the time pointing out letters and numbers to my little three-year-old to help him in his journey of education. But how often am I using these things and pointing to God as often as I can? God is just as real as math or the alphabet. And in fact, it is much more important that Granger understands what he believes and why he believes it, because those are going to be the exact areas where he is going to be experiencing a fight. What do we put our time into? We're going to face these things. If we're prepared for a tornado, but not prepared for a crisis of faith, our family is in far greater danger. So what should we do? Well, this is what our text tells us to do. This passage is showing us where danger is coming from. Wouldn't you love to have an early warning system for a leak in your home? If we just knew where to look, we could have stopped disaster before it struck. Well, Paul is telling us exactly where to look and tell us where disaster is coming from. And most positively, how we can deal with it. So, We're going to look at our two points today, which you can find on your bulletin uh, insert on the back of the prayer guide. We're going to look at, our first point is that you are in the midst of a spiritual war. Something sometimes we need to be reminded of, or maybe it's news to us. And then our second point is that we are commanded to stand in the strength that Jesus provides. That's where we're going to find the comfort from this passage. So a warning that we are in a spiritual war, and then a comfort that we are being given the tools to win it. So, as Paul finds and gets to the end of his letter, we have our finally. Paul's wrapping it up as he gets to his points. And he has been pounding the drum of God's strength this whole time. And in fact, when you look at this passage, he uses three different words for strong to really make sure you get the point. See that? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his strength, you could translate it. He's really trying to drive home the point that Jesus is the one is where we find our strength, not in ourselves. To be strengthened in a passive. This is something that he makes clear to us and is a gift to us. But how do we go grow strong in the Lord? How do we put on this strength that he gives to us? Because this is a command, as scholars point out. And then really, it's... Putting on the full armor of God has been everything we have been talking about since Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about putting on the new self. This is the same sort of concept. Putting on the whole armor of God. Being obedient to these passages that we have just read here in chapters 4 through 6. This is something that he really wants us to do. And this is something, a problem that we need to be convinced that is a problem. We won't take a look and carefully examine chapters 4 through 6 if we're not convinced that there is a spiritual fight in front of us, is there? Most of the time, we are not motivated to look into obscure health conditions until we realize that we have them. That's when we start researching these things with great interest, because we know it applies to us. And it's the same thing here in our spiritual lives. If we're not convinced that our biggest problem is the spiritual world, 
We're not going to take note of how it is that we do these things. What is it that we're supposed to put off in our lives? And what is it that we're supposed to put on in our lives? So let's examine what that threat is, or rather who that threat is. We'll find here in verses 11 and 12 that we find out that this is indeed the devil. They're sport or forces of spiritual evil. That's what he's saying here in verse 11, to put on this whole armor of God, that, the reason being, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he goes on for all of these different names for spiritual powers. There's been some speculation as to whether or not we're referring to like a hierarchy of spiritual beings. It's like, you know, all right, it's the authorities are the ones you really got to be afraid of or something like that. I think that's, as most scholars do, this is mostly speculative. But what this is trying to drive home to us is that it is not the person sitting behind the Oval Office desk that's our biggest problem or the person in the city council table. But it's, in fact, these evil forces is where these things come from. And that's who we are really doing battle with. Notice also the word that he uses here in verse 12, which is to wrestle against flesh and blood. Wrestling is something that they would have been very familiar with. This is a very intimate form of combat. This is a very personal struggle. He does not describe things as like an archery range where you're standing way far back and lobbing things at the enemy. No, the enemy is right in your face and is struggling with you. Every once in a while, I try to study a form of this martial arts at a local gym And it is remarkable about how letting your guard down for even a moment gives a motivated opponent the exact thing that they need. All of a sudden, you find your arms and legs all twisted up and the room slowly going dark. Not that that's happened to me, but... But it is remarkable what a motivated opponent will do and how quickly they can take advantage of a moment of weakness for you. Do you know, there is only one sin that Satan is unwilling to commit. He's willing to do all sorts of things. He can lie, he can cheat, he can steal, he can murder. But the one thing that Satan will never be is lazy. Satan never takes a day off. He is always working towards his ends. So we should be too. As one commentator put it, it says, Satan tries to gain a foothold and exert his influence over the lives of Christians through what we've seen in chapter 4, through uncontrolled anger, falsehood, stealing, unwholesome talk, any form of conduct that's characteristic of the old life. All of those things are where Satan tries to find a foothold. Or as another commentator had talked about, we, he finds and looks for those exact areas in which we are the weakest. He doesn't go for the strong brick wall. He goes for the open door off to the left. He knows where those are. We need to know where those are too. Because he wants to go and exactly find what he's looking for. And he'll never present himself as being the incarnation of evil. As I've heard it's well said, Satan doesn't look like someone with horns and hooves, but Satan looks like everything you've ever wanted. That's what evil is and tries to present itself in that way. Now, it's easy for us to at this point say, it's like, oh, goodness, 
We have an extremely motivated enemy that we can't see who knows exactly where I am the weakest and tries to target those areas. This does not sound very encouraging. If this was a battle speech, you're really failing, buddy. Where are we going to find courage to fight this? Well, that's where we find in verse 13. This is meant to be a comforting passage. We're meant to walk away from this sober, not scared. That's what we see here in verse 13. Because we have all of these problems, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. This is exactly what he is giving to us. There is a battle, but we are being given this armor. And what we'll see over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at these pieces individually. And what do these things mean for our lives? What does it mean to be fully equipped for a spiritual war? And we'll take a look at what all of those things are and the many tools that he gives to us that we are commanded to take up, that we have an active part in doing. But he tells us that all of this will allow us to be strengthened in him. So what does it mean to be strengthened in the Lord? First thing that we recognize when we're being strengthened in the Lord is it's the Lord that's won the victory. We're not going out into an enemy where the outcome is uncertain. Jesus has already won the war. The back of the enemy has been broken. All we need to do is stand firm on the ground that he's already won for us. So we're not going out into a battle where it's up to us whether we win or lose it. God has the outcome completely secured. So what do we do? How do we find strength in this? Well, the first step that Christ begins with is showing us that we are not strong enough in and of ourselves. We like to find enemies of flesh and blood because we know we can maybe beat those whether that be the people on cable news or grizzly bears. We feel that somehow we can beat those that are flesh and blood. But what we remind us is that we are not strong enough to beat forces of evil. But Jesus is. But it's remarkable at what relying on our own strength can look like. Relying on our own strength can look like obedience to Jesus. If our obedience to Jesus is saying, okay, God, I will do X, And then I expect why. You've given me my math formula. I'm going to do this plus this is going to equal this outcome for me. And then when we find out that God doesn't work like that, if we become bitter and angry at God, we realize that's the bargain that we've made with him. That's not what he's looking for. Trusting in Jesus and knowing that we're not strong enough looks like a trust in him entirely. To say, Lord, I'm going to do this not because it's going to guarantee this outcome. But because it's what you want me to do. And whatever results from that is good with me. That's the first part. Recognizing we're not strong enough. The second step is to rest in Christ and know that he's going to uphold you. It's one thing to know that we are too weak to live this life in and of ourselves. But if that's all that we start with, then we're just going to find ourselves as despairing people. But it's encouraging is that we're not strong enough, but Jesus is. In fact, this is what we saw with the disciple Peter, isn't it? 
the Garden of Gethsemane, or the Last Supper, when Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed, all of you are going to run away, and Peter says, not me, I'm strong enough, I'll follow you even unto death. Turns out he couldn't follow him past a servant girl. Just as Jesus said. Peter was too weak in and of himself. But what did we find later on in John? Jesus comes back to him. He says, you're, you're weak, but I am strong. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then details as to how Peter is going to die for the cause of the gospel. And what a transformation will take place in Peter. Not from anything Peter did. I don't see any classes that Peter attended between the end of John and the beginning of Acts. It wasn't a motivational speech. It wasn't a podcast. It wasn't a sermon. That changed Peter. It was Jesus that changed Peter. And see what he does with him. And then finally, recognizing, one, we're not strong enough. Two, that Jesus is strong enough. And three, to keep falling back into that truth over and over and over again. Our heart's default setting is legalism, as we've been studying in Sunday school. Our heart's default setting is let me do it myself. Don't you hear that in your children a lot? Let me do it myself. But it's keep falling back into his arms. And it's weakness that feels like strength. When you think about it, when can a child go the farthest on a hike? It's when he's sitting on his dad's shoulders. He can go a long way when he's sitting with his dad. And it's the same thing for us. By climbing onto Jesus' shoulders and saying, I don't know how all this is going to work out, but you've told me to rest in you and I'm going to rest in you. And he will take you all the way through this journey, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you can be tense and scared the entire time you're up on his shoulders. You'll just be tired by the end of the journey. But what we can know for us is that as scary as this spiritual war is, as long as we stay close to Jesus, as long as we remember we are not strong enough, but he is, he will bring us through the battle. It's what he's promised to us. So don't panic. Don't use the excuse of fear of messing up to stay out of the fight. But instead, jump in, knowing that he has given us exactly what we need. This is something that applies to us in all of our lives. The spiritual warfare doesn't begin when we're adults. So kids, if you're here listening to me, or if you haven't been listening, now's your chance to tune in and listen. It's saying that you guys are in your spiritual wars as well. There are all the times in which we feel that, I don't want to do what mom and dad just told me to do. There it is. There's your spiritual war. What are you going to do? You're going to say, it's like, well, I guess I'll just try my hardest and try to push through this. It's like, no, let's come back to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm not strong enough to fight this battle on my own. I need you. I know you are strong enough to fight this battle for me. Rest and fall back into what he says, even if it's difficult. Carry on and obediently what he's called you to do. It won't be perfect every time. Not every battle goes well. But the war's outcome is certain. There is a victory that we are marching to. 
our fortress is actually quite strong. That's why we can be still and know that he is God. For those of us who are grown-ups, while we have gained a certain sense of pride and not acting spoiled anymore, we've learned how to hide those a little better. But oftentimes our fears is we want to wrestle against flesh and blood. It feels productive somehow to yell at the news. And it feels productive to prepare with either bullets or votes as to how to change things in our lives. But I think we would be much better served that when we see things that anger us in this world, is to not direct our anger at to the people that deliver us these news or the people that we feel are responsible for them, but instead to rush to our prayer closets and say, Lord, we need help. Does this mean that the evil forces don't use places of power or powerful people? Yes, of course, they use those things. They use those people. But the point is to pray for those people, to know that our Lord and Savior is far more powerful than any dictator or president. And to place our energies to where the battle really is. And I think if you find the people that do that, they seem such at peace. Because they recognize that they have sent their calls for help up to the commander and chief of the universe. And they know that he's gracious. They know that he hears and that he cares for us. I'd like to close with the words of Peter. We've already talked about what his life was like. This is from 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 11. Listen to how he, if he was perhaps giving the application of this passage, I think this is what he would say. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, Toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for your strong strength, for your mighty power in our lives. Lord, I do pray that you would be with all of us who are here, 
That we would remember that you have broken the back of spiritual forces when you died on the cross and rose again, for death could not hold you. Lord, I pray that that would change us, that we would remember that you have won the victory, that you have called us to share in your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.